Good morning. It is great to be with you guys today. I'm always excited for the opportunity uh, to share God's Word. Uh, for those of you who are visiting with us, uh, my name is Reed, and I'm one of the pastors here at Northside. And uh, normally, uh, Pastor Scott is uh, preaching, and, uh, but he is away with his family on a, on a vacation right now. They're out in uh, Arizona on a family vacation out at the Grand Canyon. And uh, so he'll be back in a couple weeks. He'll be back in the pulpit um, at the end of June. So until then, uh, you are stuck with the JV, uh, the JV team, the JV squad. So uh, you've got me and uh, Scott Crouch, our children's pastor, uh, for the next two weeks. And Scott's going to be preaching uh, next week. And I'm sure that'll be a great sermon. Uh, I'm excited that we get to hear from our children's pastor on Father's Day. I think that's pretty cool. Well, this morning we're going to take a short break uh, from our normal sermon series. I know that Pastor Scott has been leading us through a series uh, on the Holy Spirit, and I know that uh, many of you have really enjoyed that, especially uh, some of our uh, Baptocostals. And uh, so I know that um, that's been a great, uh, a great series for many of you. But for our time this morning, we're actually going to change gears, and we're going to take a look at a famous story involving Jesus at the beginning of uh, the Gospel of Mark. And uh, although this is probably a story that you have heard uh, many, many times, I hope that today uh, that you hear it in a new and fresh way. But before we jump into that, let me ask you, have you ever been on the receiving end of fake concern? Like, it's phony. Like, there's genuine concern, and then there's fake concern. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Let me, let me kind of uh, explain um, have you ever maybe been uh, at work or maybe even here at church and you're walking down the halls and you see somebody as you're passing them and you say, hey, how are you today? And then rather than responding like a normal human being with, hi, how are you? They actually tell you how they're doing. Has anybody ever been caught in that awkward situation before where you're sitting there and you're thinking, oh my goodness, what did I just get myself into, I was really just trying to say hi, and now I'm stuck in a hallway with you as you're telling me your whole life story. Anybody ever been there before? Because in that situation, you weren't really showing concern for them, even though you asked them, how are you today? You weren't really concerned in that moment. You were really just giving a greeting, and in our culture, when you ask somebody, hey, how are you? The expected response is, I'm fine, how are you, right? Like, we all know, even if things are terrible, you respond, I'm fine, how are you, right? Like, then you move on with your day. That's, that's one example. Has anybody ever been in a situation before um, where you're talking with maybe a friend who's going through a really difficult time, and they're kind of going through all the, the difficult things that are happening right now in their, in their life, and you kind of get to the end of the conversation, and you really just don't know how to wrap it up. So you do what every good Christian does. They say at the very end of that conversation, well... I'll be praying for you, right? Anybody ever been there? And you have like zero intention of actually praying for the person, unfortunately, uh, but it's the reality. And then you kind of just move on with your day and you completely forget about that person until like a week later, you're at the grocery store and then you see them and then you say the world's fastest prayer. It's like record-setting speed, you know. In the name of Jesus, I pray for healing for this person's leg. Hey, brother, how are you? It's so good to see you. I've been praying for you. How's your leg? You know, has that spot healed? I was praying for you today. You know, and it's, it's one of these things to where, if we're honest, it probably was not the most genuine prayer because 
uh, you know, you really honestly forgot about them. Anybody ever been there before? I think we all have. Just as a side note, by the way, a good practice that I've uh, learned from my own life. Uh, when somebody asks you to pray for them, just go ahead and do it right then. That way, you at least know that you've prayed for them, right? And uh, even though that's awkward, it's always a good practice to put in place. Uh, but when I say fake concern, I think you know what I'm talking about. I think we've all been there, whether we're on the receiving end of it or uh, we're the ones that have given it out. I think we're all quite aware of what it's like to be on the end of, of that exchange. But I think if we're honest, we have also all been a part of situations where there is real and authentic and genuine concern as well. I think we've all been a part of something incredible where someone has actually uh, showed concern for what is taking place in your life or with your family or with your situation, and that is an awesome uh, thing. As a pastor, I've had the privilege of seeing this take place many times. I've seen it done with excellence, even here at Northside, uh, church-wide when tragedy strikes a family. And we have the ability to rally around somebody and take good care of them. I've also seen it done uh, just many, many times, just one-on-one, as one believer is showing genuine concern for another believer who's going through a difficult time. And it's authentic. It's real. And from a vision standpoint, this is the D in our Build Strong strategy, right? Like, we're all familiar with our, our strategy, the B-U-I-L-D, the we want to believe together in worship. We want to understand the Bible in groups. We want to invest our time, talent, and treasures. We want to live out the gospel on a daily basis. And we want to D, depend on one another as a faith family. And for that to be done with excellence, for that to be done well, that requires genuine, authentic concern from one another. And today we actually get to see a great example of that in Scripture. Today, in Mark chapter 2, we're going to see a time when some guys had some genuine, authentic concern for one of their friends, so much so that they went to extremes to make sure that their friend got to Jesus. And so my goal for us today, as we jump into God's Word together, is for us just to make much of the name of Christ. That is my goal today. And for us to see that when we bring people to Jesus, that He can forgive them of their sins. So this morning, we're going to spend uh, most of our time in Mark chapter 2. So if you have your Bible with you, let me go ahead and encourage you to turn uh, to the book of Mark, which is the second book uh, in the New Testament. And uh, if you are following along with the uh, Bible app, we have the, we've got a, a thing going on with the YouVersion Bible app. You can open that up and follow along very easily as well. Just hit the More button in the bottom right of your iPhone or Android and then click on Events and you can check in with our live event here. And it's got all of the fill-in-the-blanks already filled in for you and all the scripture. It's great. Um, and if you're listening online right now, we have posted the answers uh, to the fill-in-the-blanks on the same page with this sermon audio file as well. Well, I want to go ahead and uh, read our passage for us in its entirety, and then we can go back and we can break it down uh, together. But this is Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat that the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, 
he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he got up, he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. And so this morning, I want us uh, to, to really kind of go back and to kind of take this passage apart piece by piece. I think this is uh, the most faithful way to understand and to apply Scripture. Um, so for, for our time this morning, let's go ahead and jump back to verse 1, and, and let's get started with this. Verse 1 begins with, a few days later. So obviously at this point we are kind of picking up in the middle of a story. Um, the verses and chapters were not added until many, many, many years later. So obviously as Mark is writing this, he didn't start off with chapter 2, verse 1. You know, that's not kind of how this went. This is one continuous thing that Mark is writing. So we're picking up in the middle of the story. Stuff has taken place before this moment. Uh, so let me fill you in so that you can understand some of the context. When we arrive in chapter 2, Jesus has really only been on the scene for a little while. He's still kind of uh, this new guy who has just showed up and people are trying to figure him out. His ministry has just started. Chapter 1 begins with John the Baptist announcing the arrival of the long-awaited Messiah. Jesus goes ahead and he gets baptized by John the Baptist. And then Jesus heads out to the desert where he successfully defeats the temptations from the devil. Immediately after this, Jesus begins to preach the gospel. And he even announces in Mark chapter 1 verse 15, he says, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And then after this, he begins to build his team by calling the disciples. And all of this happens in the first 20 verses of chapter 1. So as Mark is writing this, he's absolutely flying through some of these early details because he's trying to get to the ministry of Jesus. And that's where we're arriving right now at verse 21 of chapter 1. Uh, one. And so let me go ahead and kind of read to you what is taking place in the ministry of Jesus so that you can understand when we get to chapter 2 and these uh, guys show up with their paralyzed friend, you can understand why this even took place. So let's start reading in verse 21 together, and we're going to read all the way through the end of the chapter. Verse 21, they went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue, who was possessed by an impure spirit, cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently, and he came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching, and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So, she went to her, or so he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. 
The fever left her and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. And Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out the demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See to it that you don't tell this to anyone. But go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. All right, so as you can see, uh, Jesus' ministry is off to a fantastic start by every uh, measurable metric, right? As, as he is getting his ministry started, he's doing some incredible things to help people, whether he is healing the sick or driving out demons, um, but also his influence is expanding rapidly. Everywhere that he goes, he is drawing huge crowds. And Scripture even says at the end of chapter 1 that people are coming from everywhere to see him. So the word is out. This new man named Jesus is amazing. They don't know who he is. He's new. They're still trying to figure him out. But he's awesome. You have a high fever that's about to kill you? No problem. Go see Jesus. He'll take care of it. Leprosy? Please. That's nothing for this Jesus guy. Have you been possessed by demons? Yeah. He could take care of that too. Go check him out. From a marketing standpoint, Jesus is selling himself. The disciples, they don't even have to promote him. They don't have to to buy TV time or radio commercials. They don't have to get Facebook ads to get the word out. The word is spreading on its own. The people who have witnessed the ministry of Jesus, they can't keep their mouths closed. They are telling everyone they know. And then we arrive into our chapter. So hopefully this helps you understand kind of what's taking place in the ministry of Jesus leading up to our passage today. And Jesus knows that it's possible for people to be attracted uh, to him for the wrong reasons. So in our passage this morning, Jesus actually has an opportunity to show the crowd that he's not some magician who has showed up on the scene to perform cool tricks for everybody. Rather, he is the son of God who has come to save people from their sins. Yes, these people have real needs, and Jesus is able to meet those needs. Being healed from high fevers and leprosy is real. Having demons cast out is very real. But Jesus came to do far greater things than that. Jesus knows that we all have a greater need, and that is the need for forgiveness. And that is actually your first point in today's sermon. In your handout, you've got a simple outline for today's message. And this is the first thing that I want us to affirm together, is that Jesus knows our greatest need. And that is the need for forgiveness. 
Let's look again at the beginning of Mark. A few days later, or sorry, this is Mark chapter 2. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. So scholars say at this time in history, a home would have been a very simple structure. It would have been a single room, very simple home. It would have probably been very small, and it would have most likely had a flat roof. And you would have actually had access to the roof by an outdoor staircase uh, that was either on the back of the house or on the side of the house. And so uh, in this situation, um, if Jesus is drawing massive crowds, there's not going to be many people inside. So there's going to be this massive overflow of people outside who are just trying to even just hear from a distance, hey, what's going on inside? What's taking place in there? You know, they, they, they're all just trying to get as close to they can uh, as, as they can just to even be a part of what's going on. And so that's why there is this overflow of people. Verse 3, some, people, or some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered uh, the mat that the man was lying on. And so based off of our context this morning from reading uh, Mark chapter 1, I think it's safe to assume that these four men were wanting what everyone else wanted. These four men, uh, like we just talked about, uh, they, they really kind of wanted to see their friend healed because that is what Jesus was doing. Guys, listen, they had genuine concern for their friend. This is not some phony hello as you're passing somebody in the hallway. This is not some disingenuous I'll be praying for you when you're trying to get out of an awkward conversation. They genuinely cared about their friend. So much so that they were going to do whatever it took to get their friend to Jesus because they wanted to see him healed from his paralysis. And these guys were determined. We don't know how far they traveled or how heavy their friend was. It doesn't give us those details. But here's what we do know. We do know that they didn't leave until they got the job accomplished. They showed up and there's an obstacle. There's too many people in the way. And they, they don't just give up and say, well, let's go home. No, they figured out a way, even though it meant destructing somebody's, you know, house. And Scripture doesn't say this, but you know that every single person in the room began to notice what was going on. Uh, you know, if it's a flat roof and they begin digging their way through, it's only a matter of time before they actually uh, begin to make their way through, and, and pieces of the roof would have been falling down on their heads. And this is not taking place while everybody's just hanging out and enjoying some downtime. Scripture said that at this moment, Jesus is teaching. So it'd be like if, like, right now, all of a sudden, pieces of the roof began just kind of raining down on your heads as I'm up here teaching. I mean, this would be like the world's most distract, you know, biggest distraction in any sermon ever. Uh, way worse than a cell phone or a baby crying, right? I mean, this is, this is serious. And so these guys, the, the, these four guys, they rip a hole in the roof and then they lower their paralyzed friend down on the mat that he's on right in front of Jesus. And now you know that all four of them are just peeking through this hole, trying to look down and they're waiting to see with their own eyes what's going to happen because they fully expect that Jesus is going to continue doing what he's been doing, which is healing people. And then verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. And again, this is not why this man was brought to Jesus. They did not bring him to Jesus to have his sins forgiven. 
They brought him to Jesus to see him heal. They wanted to see their friend walk again. But like we just affirmed in our first point, Jesus knows our greatest need, and that is the need for forgiveness. Yes, this man was paralyzed, and yes, these friends wanted to see him healed, but his greatest need was not a physical problem involving his body. His greatest need was a spiritual problem that involved his soul. Let's keep reading. Let's look at verses 6 through 7. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there, and they were thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And actually, guys, that's correct. So I want us to write that down as point number two. Only God can forgive sins. At this point, it appears that Jesus has said something theologically incorrect. As we just saw, there's some teachers of the law in the room, and they know uh, what, the, what the Bible says. They know that only God has the authority to forgive sins. So uh, keep in mind, Jesus is still new at the moment. People are still trying to figure him out. So you can kind of put yourself in their shoes for a moment. You're a teacher of the law. You're a Pharisee or you're a scribe. You're, you're, one of the, you're one of the top dogs in the religious world. And you're hearing about this new guy on the scene who showed up to do some pretty amazing things. And you're thinking, man, I'm going to go check this guy out. So you make your way to this, to this location where he is. You actually get yourself in the room, even though there's an overflow of people outside. You were kind of first in line. And you're now in the room with him. You see these, these guys lower this guy down on a mat in front of Jesus. And then you hear this guy who you've come to check out because you're still trying to figure him out, make a claim that only God can make. Of course you're going to sit there and say, what did he just say? That isn't right. But none of them actually say it out loud. At this point, they're really not sure what to do. Instead, they're just thinking it. Look again at verses 6 through 7. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So it's clear from this passage that, they, that the teachers of the law do not see Jesus as God. They have not yet become believers in that sense. And if Jesus is not God, then the charge of blasphemy is actually correct. Anyone who claims to be God but isn't God is a blasphemer. But Jesus knew what was in their hearts, and he addressed their concerns. So verse 8, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? So I don't know about you, if I'm sitting in that room and I'm seeing amazing miracles, I'm seeing people being healed, I'm seeing demons being cast out, and then all of a sudden this guy like reads my mind, <laughs> I'm going to probably be Okay, what's going on? Like, this is something different. We haven't seen anything like this. Um, I'd be a little freaked out. Like, he knew what they were thinking. He knew that their hearts were still hard and that they were not believing. So, to help them understand that he is who he claims to be, he addresses their concerns in front of everyone. Look at verse 9. Which is easier to say? To say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, Take your mat and walk. 
Now, to be clear, uh, neither statement is easy. Both statements are serious, and both of them are very bold. Let me, let me explain. To say that your sins are forgiven might sound like the easier thing to say because, like, there's no way to really prove it, right? Like, you, anybody could say, your sins are forgiven. And in that moment, you're going to have to just accept the results by faith, right? I mean, so it appears on surface level that that would be the easier thing. Well, anybody can say that, Jesus. The problem is that by saying this, you're claiming to be God. And if you can't prove that, you're now a blasphemer, which is punishable by death. So if all of a sudden the people are convinced that Jesus has, uh, has blasphemed, at this point they can just pick up stones and kill him. However, it's just as risky to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. Think about this. What if it doesn't happen? Then the show is over, Right? What if Jesus tells the paralyzed man to walk, and after he says it, the man can't walk? At that point, Jesus' ministry is over. And not only that, but everyone's now going to accuse him of being a false teacher, which is also punishable by death. So either way, this is a serious situation that Jesus has put himself in. Simply put, if he can't prove that he's who he's claiming to be, like he's facing death. But, as we already know, Jesus is God. And not only does he have the authority to forgive sins, but that is what he came to do. And that is your third point. Jesus is God, and he came to forgive sins. Look again at verses 10 through 12. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And he got up, he took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. And in these final few verses, we see that Jesus actually doubles down on his claim to be God. And he does so actually in a very unique way. In verse 10, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. And in fact, this is actually Jesus' favorite name for himself. A little Bible trivia for you here. He uses this title when referring to himself 84 times in the New Testament. And at first glance, it's easy to be confused by this and think that Jesus is referring to his human nature, to think that Jesus is referring to his humanity in this moment. However, that is actually not the case. Jesus is smart, and he knows that when he uses this phrase, son of man, that that actually meant something to the people who were alive at that time, especially to the people who are sitting right in front of him as teachers of the law. When Jesus claimed uh, to be the Son of Man, he was not referring to his humanity. He wasn't telling everyone that he's a son of a human being. Rather, by calling himself the Son of Man, he's telling everyone that he is the one from the book of Daniel who is seated on the throne and worshipped for all eternity. 
By using this phrase, he's not pointing to his humanity. He is pointing to his divinity. He is pointing to his God nature. He's telling people, I am God. Let me show you what I'm talking about. This is Daniel chapter 7, verses 1 through 14. Uh, You're welcome to turn there if you want to, but you don't have to. You can just listen if you want. If you're using the Bible app, it's actually right in front of you. This is the first uh, 14 verses of Daniel 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream. And visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being. And the mind of a human was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. And it was raised up on its side and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back, it had four wings like those of a bird. Uh, This beast had four heads, and it was given the authority to rule. And after that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the other beasts, and it had ten horns. And while I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being in the mouth that spoke boastfully. And as I looked, thrones were set in place and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair on his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because the boastful words that the horn was speaking, I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beast had been stripped of their authority, but they were allowed to live for a period of time. And then we arrive at this phrase that Jesus just used. Verse 13. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Keep in mind that these teachers of the law, these Pharisees, these scribes, these people who knew the Bible, they were familiar with this passage in Daniel chapter 7. This was not foreign to them. They knew their Bible. And so when Jesus called himself the Son of Man, he is saying, I am the one that you have been reading about in the book of Daniel. I'm the Son of Man who will be seated on the throne for all eternity. I'm the one that you've been waiting on. So in our passage today, Jesus has now claimed to be God in multiple ways. 
He's told the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. He is now referred to himself as the son of man, which is a clear reference to his God nature, pointing back to Daniel chapter 7. And he now proves that he is who he claims to be by telling the man, get up, take your mat, and go home. And the man gets up, he takes his mat, and he walks out in front of everyone there, even those who doubted. And why did this happen? Scripture tells us, look at verse 10. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And like we affirmed in our third point, that's what he came to do. Jesus is God and he came to forgive sins. And verse 12 says, this amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like Guys, this is a pretty amazing story in Scripture, and it's always been uh, one of my favorites. Uh, In fact, when I was in middle school and high school, uh, this was the theme passage for our student ministry. Uh, This, we were were called through the roof student ministry. We had shirts and all the fun stuff, just like what we do now with 412. We were through the roof student ministry. And it was a regular reminder for us to do whatever it takes to get our friends to Jesus, even if it means tearing a hole in someone's roof. So this morning, as we begin to close out our time together, I really just want to throw the same challenge at you. What are you doing to make sure that the people who are in your life make it to Jesus? Or are you doing anything at all? You see, God has sovereignly placed people in your life who need Jesus. And you are the one that he wants to use. Scripture explains that God uses people to expand his kingdom. I want to say that again. Scripture says that God uses people to expand his kingdom. Listen, he could have wrote it in the sky, right? Like he could have spelled out in the clouds, Jesus saves. But that's not what he chose to do. As part of God's divine, sovereign plan, he actually gave us a role to play. He gave us an opportunity to be a part of his story. And to be clear, we're just the messengers, okay? So the pressure's off. You do not have the power to save, and you never will. Only Jesus has the power to save. But you know what you get to do? You get to be the one who who shares the gospel. You get to be the one who brings people to Jesus. Listen to what Romans chapter 10, uh, verses 14 through 15 says. How then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Church, don't wait for someone else to do it. You are the people who bring the good news. You are the people that God wants to use to expand his kingdom. So how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? Because you know who it is that they need to believe in, and you can open your mouth and tell them. And listen, guys, I'm not even trying to get you to sign up for something new, okay? There's no like, and at the end of this service, you can sign your name. I'm not trying to do anything funny. I'm a firm believer in relational evangelism. 
The vast majority of you already have unbelievers in your life right now. For some of you, there's your workplace. You sit next to them for eight hours a day. They're in the cube right next to you. For others of you, they're just part of your circle of friends. Y'all hang out on the weekends, whatever that looks like. They're just in your group. You run with these people. Like, you, you know these people. They're just in your circle. They're in your network. For some of our younger people, they're like in your school with you, right? They're a part of fourth block chemistry or they're on your ball team or whatever. You know them just because of the time you spend with them at school. For others of you, they are in your family. Regardless of the situation, the vast majority of you already have relationships with someone who needs Jesus and you can be the person who gets them there. You can be the person who digs a hole in the roof to make sure that they make it to the feet of Jesus. And listen, guys, if you're sitting here right now and you don't know any unbelievers, uh, that is an easy problem to fix in today's culture, right? Because they're everywhere. You do not have to look far to find somebody who rejects the name of Christ. And my challenge to you would be just to go home and pray about that. I guarantee you that that is a prayer that God will honor. If you go home and pray, God, if you will, please put an unbeliever in my life that I can build an authentic, genuine friendship with. Not some phony friendship. We're not talking about fake concern. We're talking about a legitimate, authentic friendship that you now develop with somebody who does not believe so that eventually you have the opportunity to share the gospel with them. I promise you that that is a prayer that God will honor. That is because that is part of his plan. He, do, he wants us to share the gospel with, with people. And I'm telling you, if you make that your prayer, God will absolutely put unbelievers in your life uh, so that you can buddy up with them for the sake of sharing the gospel. Well, guys, listen, we have affirmed three simple truths today. Jesus knows our greatest need, and that's the need for forgiveness. Only God can forgive sins, and Jesus is God, and he came to do just that. He came to forgive sins. Thank you all for giving me the opportunity uh, to share God's word with you this morning. I always enjoy uh, standing up here and uh, sharing God's word. We're going to go ahead and enter into a time of response. If today you want to talk more about what it means to be forgiven of your sins, uh, I'm going to be right down here uh, at the front, and I'd love the opportunity to start that conversation with you. So uh, the musicians are going to come forward at this time, and they're going to lead us in our final song. And uh, so let me just encourage you at this time uh, to stand and sing with us.